now the podcast starts. Hello, dear listener. This is TD Velasquez, but as always, you can call me Dan. Welcome to the podcast on which we talk about horror. Sometimes we talk about other things, and sometimes we swear. Right now, I'm all on my own, but in a little while, you're going to hear a bevy of supporting voices. This is our long-awaited second episode about the TV series Hannibal. We did our first episode last year, and if you didn't hear that, and if you haven't seen the show Hannibal, I would advise you to go back listen to our previous episode, which is a spoiler-free discussion about season one. And then, if you like what you hear, go and watch season one of Hannibal, which is available freely in the UK, on my five or you might even want to watch all three series of Hannibal which are available if you're a member of Amazon Prime you can see those for free and I can't recommend those enough and neither can anybody else who you're going to hear from during this episode so in just a moment you're going to hear from myself and Kirsty Warrow my regular wonderful co-host as we talk to our marvellous returning very special guests, Dr. Laurie Hitchcock-Morimoto and Dr. Rebecca Williams, about season two of Hannibal. And we're going to talk about it in a very enthusiastic, very spoilerific fashion. So, I hope you'll enjoy that. They, both of our guests, love the show very much and really know their stuff. So I hope you'll get lots of enjoyment out of listening to that Following that discussion, Kirsty and I will then bid farewell to Laurie and Rebecca and will be joined instead by our other regular co-hosts on the podcast, uh, Dr. Stella Gaynor and Ian Winterton, as we take a critical look at season two of Hannibal, um, especially as Kirsty and I and Laurie and Rebecca are all established fans but Ian and Stella are not, and I've just discovered it for the first time. That's pretty much all that you need to know from me on my own. I'm going to hand over now to myself and Kirsty in the past to talk to Rebecca and Laurie. Um, first, here's just a little bit of a teaser of what Hannibal sounds like, and I'll reiterate though, if you've never seen the show, please don't listen on. Go back to our previous episode, watch the show on My5, watch it on Amazon Prime. It's well worth discovering and it's full of joys that really don't deserve to be spoiled by having heard a podcast first. So, having given you that warning, let's talk Hannibal Season 2. There will be a reckoning. Will Graham, the FBI's top profiler, is now the FBI's top suspect. But they have the wrong man. Hello, Will. Hello, Dr. Lecter. You are obsessed with Will Graham. What you did to me is in my head, and I will find it. You're not a suspect. You're the new Will Graham. Is Will Graham an intelligent psychopath? He tells everyone that you are a monster. 
Well, in that case, you are dining with a psychopathic murderer. I imagine it's easier to believe I'm responsible for those murders than it is to accept that you are. You have to investigate me. It's in my best interest. Yes, it is. The conclusion that I've drawn is that you are dangerous. You may not believe me now. You will. Stay away from Hannibal Lecter. I believe you. I almost feel guilty about eating it. I never feel guilty eating anything. So here we are again talking about the second season of Hannibal. It's the second time we've had this kind of discussion. And once again, we are incredibly honoured to be joined by Dr. Laurie Hitchcock-Morimoto, Assistant Professor at the General Faculty of Media Studies at the University of Virginia. Need to take a breath after that. And also... (laughs) by Dr. Rebecca Williams, who is the Senior Lecturer in Communication, Cultural and Media Studies at the University of South Wales. Welcome, Laurie. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you you for having us. (laughs) Thank you. It's great to be back. Yeah. Bless you both. (laughs) We loved having you on the show last time, and it's fantastic that you're here again. It's one of our best episodes, I think, where we just nattered about season one of Hannibal. (laughs) Um, And that that was absolutely wonderful. and now we're going to move on to series two. I, I think I should make clear at the outset of this discussion that I think we can be, although in, in our discussion of season one, we were careful to keep it as uh, or to avoid spoilers as much as possible. I think from this point, it doesn't really matter because if the listener hasn't either watched the first season <laughs> or listened to our previous episode, they're not that interested. No. So we should just feel free to say whatever we want. I will say that that I've uh, still not quite got to the end of Hannibal season three. It's horrible. Uh, things have happened in my life which have prevented me from watching the last few to the extent that I'm having to go back a couple of episodes and watch them again to to remember Uh, where I was up to. That keeps happening. But so so try and go easy on me about the the ending of the overall show. But I think in terms of anything within season two, uh, it's fair game. So um, So, yeah, to be clear, the spoiler discussion is more for you as in to avoid spoilers. Uh, well, exactly. Yes, that's the, yes. I was defending my own interests on, on that one. Absolutely. Um, so, season two of Hannibal. Uh, what I might um, casually describe as the point where it all kicks off. Um, so, having uh, thinking about it, I've seen the whole series twice now. So, the first question. Uh, I've got kind of relates to that exact point. Um, I would say that this is the moment where the series goes into high gear. I think some fans would agree with me on that. Maybe most fans. Um, what do we all think on that level? And why? What is it about, about the second season which which causes that effect? Um, Laurie, should we start with you? Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, a friend of mine once described this as 
like the that season two actually is the beginning of season 2.5 uh to 3.5 and which she thought was sort of the the apex of the series I tend to agree and it really is I mean the the episodes that come before Will's release from prison are fine um although and I think uh Rebecca may recall this as well when Brian Fuller was at uh Red Dragon Con a few years ago he did mention that it's it's a little difficult to really sort of ramp up the drama when your lead is in jail. Um, and so there's there's a little <laughs> bit of treading water that happens, even though there's a lot that happens that's that's very significant and moving and, you know, all kinds of things, horrifying. Um, it really is, I think, the point that Will Graham leaves prison that uh, and, and the and the game begins uh, with Hannibal. Uh, that the show really just just yeah becomes something other than how it began and mm. this is what I'm always you know everybody it, it's it's bad you know we're we're finally I'm in a job where I this this is relevant I promise I'm in a <laughs> job that I began like one term before the pandemic set in and so I had, hadn't really had a, a chance to meet people face to face and so now I'm meeting people for the first time, you know, in person. And I swear to God, it's embarrassing. But like every time I corner somebody for long enough, I'm just like, have you seen Hannibal? You know, I mean, <laughs> just give it some time. But by the time it gets to the middle of season two, you know, it wins. It's everything, you know. So um, that really is my feeling about it. And I guess um, if I were to say what makes the difference, God, it, it leaves procedural behind and I don't mean that in a in a negative sense necessarily it's not that procedurals are bad and Hannibal is good although personally I sort of feel that way because I'm not a big fan of procedurals that said it it just it takes it in a completely different direction um, and if you hear some low buzz that's me sorry uh, I have a right. loud heater um, it takes the show in a really just it, it, God, that's a really hard question. I'm going to punt to Rebecca for a bit while I think about <laughs> why, because, you know, it's like, <laughs> I can see it, but I'm not quite sure how to describe it. So maybe Rebecca can describe it better. By um, all means, Rebecca. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Laurie. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I agree, absolutely. I think the first first part of series two is is good there are some really great moments in that I think that feeling of sort of treading water is especially I think when you rewatch it and you know what's coming I think is is very real um and I think I think for me with the first time watching it I remember I found the first part of series two really quite confusing I found it really hard to follow it narratively because I just could it, it was it wasn't really clear sort of who was doing what and it, it almost kind of goes down a couple of dead ends I think a little bit and it, it's not frustrating but it's not the show isn't really like that normally very much and there is a point where when I rewatch it I'm always like I kind of want that arc to wrap up maybe an episode before it does and I think maybe it goes on for maybe a, you know one or two episodes more than, than you'd want it to um and I think what you've said before, I think, Laurie, that, that idea about it's sort of season 2.5 to 3.5 is, is really where 
I think we see so much of what we recognize if we're familiar with the books or the, the previous film versions, so Red Dragon or um, Manhunter. And I think to see how that's done differently in the series, for me as a fan um, of the Hannibal franchise or, or whatever you want to call it, I think where that pleasure comes from it, seeing how that unfolds and that move away as well into this kind of almost fantasy sort of world is, is for me, I think, where that, the series has always been beautiful and has always had a particular style. Um, but I think that's really where that, that shifts up a level and, and kind of moves into this other kind of, sort of realm of, of doing really beautiful aesthetic, aesthetic moments. Nice. Laurie? I think you found your thoughts. <laughs> a little bit, well, listening to Rebecca, actually, because, you know, it occurs to me that one of the things, one of the big differences between season one and even season 2.1 through five, I guess, I don't know what we would call it, the first half, essentially, of uh, season two, we still have Will Graham largely as victimized, Um even though towards the end of the prison arc, he is beginning to come into his own as somebody who is like royally pissed off. Um, is that something that people say in the UK? I don't yeah, know. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly <laughs> <what you> mean. <laughs> like, like royally pissed off. I wonder if that's like American. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, and, and I think for me, in some ways, it's where we start getting darker Will Graham that we really start seeing sort of this, well, darker Will Graham and also Hannibal Lecter sort of falling under his spell. Um, so that he's like, you know, yeah, this is what I wanted. And Will's like, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> you know, so that, so that it, it does become kind of a cat and mouse game, but such an elevated one. Um, and Hugh Dancy in particular, well, I mean, you know, it goes without saying that Mads Mikkelsen is always going to be fabulous doing this, but I think this is where Hugh Dancy really starts to come in his own, into his own as the character of Will Graham. Um, and I, you know, for me, it always starts, and this is a favorite, you know, scene in Silence of the Lambs as well. So I do have this background with it, but, you know, uh, the what needs does he serve by killing even though they change that from silence of the lambs when he's in the cage and he's talking to jack crawford and jack is like you know what you doing man and uh he's like mm -hmm. you know he's he he does he always does this like forehead crinkle thing when he's just full of shit and it's the best thing you always know when you know will graham is scheming because his forehead crinkles and he looks all <laughs> you know and you're like yes you know he's here and he's finally arrived and I think bringing Will to that point and then you know the two of them in the second half of the series of the of the season they just they both bring it you know um it's I mean both in terms of the characters but in terms of the performances as well they just they both kind of sink their teeth into them and commit completely to what it is that the characters are doing, even though you know it's going to end horribly wrong. And, and, and I think you can extend that to many of the performances. This is also, I think, the season where Gillian Anderson's Bedelia du Maurier also becomes 
something more than she was maybe mm-hmm. intended to be, uh, where she really sort of takes the reins. Uh, and it's also, I think, where Raul Esparza's um, Chilton also just becomes, I mean, I don't have words for him in this. I think he's <laughs> amazing. I think it, not to the extent as we'll see in season three, but this is where it starts, I think, to embrace a kind of campiness. And I mean that in the best way that it just, it sort of gives itself over to the melodrama and to the just the emotion. And it takes it seriously, which is I think sort of at the at the heart of its camp is that it's taking it all very, very seriously. But it also knows that this is completely, you know, I mean, the levels to which the absurdity reaches it are so extreme. And yet every moment, you know, they're committed to it. And so this is why I don't have words for it because I don't quite know how to describe it, but Mm. I don't know, that's what I see. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, I just want to interject, Laurie. Uh, It was you um, in the discussion last time who first alerted me to the the central skein of absurdism running through Hannibal and I suddenly I realized that I've kind of been thick for not realizing that because I think it's been there ever since the movie of the silence of the lambs I think uh, I've got a a brother who uh, once went on a very critical rant about the silence of the lambs and his main point is when they bring him to it's not Baltimore, is it? It's when they bring him to Washington, where he escapes from. When they bring him to Washington, Tennessee. they imprison him in a hotel. <laughs> so, and, I, and I just thought, oh, yeah. Um, it doesn't care. Yeah, so, no, this is, and this is the point at which it really doesn't care. I mean, when Will puts together the, the remains of uh, Randall Tear, um, <laughs> overnight, you know, I just... I just through this together, you know, and it's like, it's absurd, but, but they're committed to the absurdity and that's what elevates it. If they were laughing at it, if they were like, if, if they were in any way sort of winking at the audience, Mm -hmm. it would be one thing, but I don't think they ever once wink. I think they just say, just go with us with this. Yeah, I mean, it's the tree better. person. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. No, that's, that's no, jackhammer and the tree, the tree man. Like, no, did you do that all by yourself? Brilliant. I actually like, made like a, like a fan art of like a little truck that had <laughs> Hannibal driving and like a tree and a jackhammer and a dead body just kind of hanging out the back. Brilliant. Um, because, you know, it's like, how did you, how? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And but when Will sees it, you know, I mean, the, that's that's what makes it so great because it's completely unrealistic it would never i mean it's not even trying to be realistic mm-hmm. and so when will sees it we can appreciate his awe you know he's so pissed off at Han- he's so angry at hannibal and yet when he sees the tree he's just like damn you know <laughs> I, and, and and that's yeah and that i think is the essence of season two that it just kind of says, you know, we could just pitch it off the cliff and see, we, well, you know, but we could, we could just do what we want and nobody's going to say anything and mm-hmm. it'll be great. And yeah, I, I think they free themselves from some of the constraints of broadcast television mm. and sort of say, just go with us. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that 
it sort of irritates me about the first few episodes is you have the character mm. uh oh the sex in the city cynthia nixon oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. this really odd bit where there's, there's almost like still clinging on to this sort of quasi reality that, that exists or ever if it ever did <laughs> and, and it's it's sort of like at this point you're like i think we're sort of beyond this and yet yeah. there's still this little push at it and in the end it doesn't really like okay it comes back at the end of the series but it it just it feels really jarring and it's mm. even when that happens again in, in the finale of, of that series season it's like oh come on let's just <laughs> Why yeah, pretending we're in that world because we're we're not anymore. Yeah. Um, and I always found that kind of irritating at the, in the first couple of episodes that she sort of shows up and tries to, you know, do all this sort of yeah. bureaucracy. And it's like, no, just, let's keep going. <laughs> let's just yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For a moment, it, it it is trying to be kind of super law and order. It seems yeah. to be yeah, and, uh, like law and order with prettier aesthetics. You know, yeah, and that's yeah, that's a diamond dozen. Um, but you know, having—I yeah. mean, even even during the courtroom scenes, though, I do think that you know it was a stroke of genius to have Hannibal Lecter sitting in the in the gallery, you know, in that awful suit. I mean, you know, he's got the the sort of paisley tie and the red plaid uh, yeah. suit, and he just, he sticks out like a sore thumb, and he knows it, and he's loving it. And so even there, with all of the sort of you know kind of required nods to realism you know you have this guy and he's bigger than everybody else that he's sitting around mm -hmm. and he just he stands you know even then it's kind of interjecting these little moments of you know this is total fantasy you could say the same thing about freddie lounge on the stand too um, and her out yeah so yeah <laughs> iconic we were, she has on. yeah when yeah. we were at uh red dragon con i think i had a chance to ask Brian, I think if he intended that as sort of a femme fatale in a noir sense, and he said, No, I was going for his girl Friday kind of Rosalind Russell. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but there's there's clearly an iconic sort of he's not playing in realism, he's playing in iconography. Mm. And that by the end of season two has just been elevated to, you know. All the symbols and yeah well in in the last episode of season two you get margot verger appearing in that absolutely jaw-dropping outfit that she she must have stayed up all night expending the thought on exactly how she was going to dress in a way that made her gloating uh, most impactful just <laughs> it's incredible um kirsty i am mm -hmm. sensing that you will be in very much agreement with everything oh, yeah. that Laurie and Rebecca have said, but is there anything you'd like to add yeah, on just, why season two is special? Just two things. One is, you know, kind of season one feels like, you know, from the outset, you're going to go, okay, because of canon, you know, regardless of how familiar you are with it, you're going to go, I know where this has got to go. And then, of course, when season one doesn't end there, you kind of, you know, the expectations are kind of reset. And I just love the fact that, you know, kind of, that season one, uh, season two starts with this just amazing kind of fight scene between um, Hannibal and Jack Crawford, and it's—I mean, it's—it's it's beautiful and it's balletic and it's you know it's powerful and it you know and you really get the sense of oh shit, <laughs> like they know you know, <laughs> um, 
and you know it's such a you know kind of visually aesthetically impressive and dramatic way to open and then to sort of go okay that's where we are but now you know you still figure out how we get there um I really like like that I know it's a little bit kind of obvious as a, a kind of oh yeah well you know eight weeks earlier or whatever but I really enjoyed that and then I think for me uh and it is for me obviously <laughs> um is the way that I love what we were talking before about kind of dark or will um I also think that the kind of you know the reflection of that is also lighter Hannibal and the way that you know kind of particularly in the sort of second half of the season um we're more aware of what Hannibal wants um, and the way that he invests in his friendship in Will, even though, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. a dangerous thing for him to do. Um, and the way that when we come back to the kind of the fully playing out of the, the kind of fight scene and all the kind of fallout from that, just that, you know, regardless of everything else, just how hurt he is by it all. And just like my heart broke <laughs> for him in that whole, you know, mm-hmm. in that whole kind of moment. Um, and I, you know, I kind of, I got to the end of it thinking, you know, I've always enjoyed the character and I enjoyed Matthew Nicholson's version of the character, but I, you know, it was always sort of slightly in a distance and kind of knowing, uh, you know, and then, uh, but I, you know, I found myself genuinely kind of emotionally hurt for, for him, having sympathy with him in that moment. And I think that for me, you know, yes, the aesthetics and the kind of playfulness and all of that, I love it for that, but by the end of season two it's like oh yeah he's my guy <laughs> i just really want to see him do well but that's the <laughs> that's the that's the 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 thing but it is completely absurd i mean if you yeah. if you describe that whole yeah. sequence to somebody he's like okay so hannibal goes on a killing you know rampage uh and yeah. by the end of the episode we're not sure who's alive but we yeah. know that will abigail and jack and Alana could theoretically all be dead. I mean, he yeah. has gone in there and like basically, you know, he's pushed out the window, stab, yeah. you know, neck, jab. Yeah. You know, he has killed everybody in the house. And yet when he walks out, yeah, that's exactly it. You're like, oh my God, <laughs> you poor baby, you know? And, yeah. and it's, you know, somebody, I think it was, I think it was uh, Lincoln um, Garrity. Is that how you say his last name? Garrity, yeah, yeah, Garrity, yeah, Garrity at at uh, the the conference for the um, Popular Culture Association uh, in the U.S. One time, you know, I was part of a panel that was talking about Hannibal, and he said, you know, I don't know how to I don't know how to understand my sympathy for him, and I'm like, well, you know, think about it. I I've never been stabbed. I've never been pushed out a window. I absolutely have not had, you know, glass shoved in my neck or otherwise, you know, had a knife, you know, none of that has ever really happened to me, but I have had my heart broken. I have believed in people that let me down. And so when he walks out of there and he's all, you know, sad in the rain (laughs) and, you know, all of that, um, it's, uh, he's the one you're going to sympathize with because he's the one that's having the experience that uh that I've had as opposed to everybody else who's having this sort of fantasy bizarre you know are they alive are they dead kind of experience fantastic I am I'm loving the flow of enthusiasm uh coming through all of you on this but Bacharach said what the world needs now is love sweet love but he was slightly wrong what the world needs now is enthusiasm i think you can never have too much 
Um, the second thing that I wanted to ask you all about then with season two was that I was really struck by the, the number of extended weird visual sequences, um, the the incredible uh, sort of three-way sex scene with Hannibal <laughs> Will and Alana where they're not actually having sex, but they are. Um, the, 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 the really elongated birth of the stag creature. Um, th- those kind of sequences weren't in season one. So, so what do you think um, uh, this says? About, is it just a mark of more confidence? What, what, what does it say about the storytelling in season two? Um, Rebecca, should we start with you this time? Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's partly confidence. I think that it's understanding that the audience will get the symbolism and get get the metaphors or <laughs> whatever's going on in this sex scene. Um, it's <laughs> a metaphor, but it's not really. <laughs> it's not really a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, depending on how you read certain relationships, and I so I think it is. I think it's knowing that that the audience that you that they're getting are have that kind of literacy that they can understand, you know, and, and kind of again are willing to go along with that sort of journey without being you know put off by it or, or kind of confused by it. Um, and I think. I think that allows the series to do some really interesting, interesting things in a way that you can't, you know, still can't quite believe that again, that the scene with the stag and the Wendigo and the, you know, <laughs> it's so creepy, it's so creepy, but it's again, it's still really beautiful. <laughs> um, and there is still that that element of of that kind of art or the, the aesthetic to it. Um, so yeah, I think it's confidence. I think it's maybe knowing that say whatever audience you have is. Okay, is happy to go along with that ride. Um, and again, uh, without talking about season three too much, um, in this in this sort of podcast, um, you know, that's something that then will carries on certainly through to so the end of two point three point sort of <laughs> the, the back half of season three is different again, but the first part of season three absolutely goes with that and takes it off. <laughs> yeah. More. So yeah, I think it's all of those things. Yeah, having seen the first part of season three, I know exactly what you mean. Good heavens. <laughs> um, Laurie, what would you like to add to that? Um, well, I mean, you know, I what everything Rebecca said, obviously, um, I think uh, is spot on. Um, I think I think in part as well, even though they're following the novel and Ridley Scott Hannibal narrative to a certain extent with Mason Verger that really is sort of if as much as I like the performance actually that kind of carries over into season three too it doesn't really there's in in the first half of or in the second half of season two there isn't actually a lot that they have to hew to other than introducing characters um, and kind of getting Mason to the point where he becomes, you know, other Mason, um, literally. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, and, and so I think in some ways, the second half of the season, when you do get all of this kind of, these sort of phantasmagoric, sequences that you know 
add as much in terms of tone as they do in terms of narrative to the show. I think we're beginning to see in a lot of ways what Brian Fuller and the people that he's working with, because it really is, you know, it's a group effort, but it really is, you know, and it's television, to, so it always will be. But um, I think we're really starting to see what they would do if given their druthers, you know, sort of if we take the chains of kind of conventional television narrative off, what happens? Mm -hmm. And I think that's borne out by some of his other um, post-Hannibal work. And I'm thinking, because <laughs> there hasn't been a lot, but uh, I'm thinking especially of some of the stuff that we saw in American Gods um, following Hannibal, which also had, if not quite that level of just pure sort of dark fantasy, um, definitely an approach to narrative that was, that exceeded, <laughs> sorry, I just, <laughs> the light went out. <laughs> Apologies, it's my weird light. I'm still here. <laughs> I lost my train. Um, but I think, I think even in, in, in some of his post uh, Hannibal work, um, and, and actually not just American gods, but also uh, you know, Star Trek Discovery to a certain extent. He, he was playing with narrative on sort of more than one plane. I kind of visualize it in my head. It's like, there's always sort of these concurrent planes of things happening that tend to coalesce at a certain point. Um, which may or may not mean anything. I'm not exactly sure what I'm trying to say, uh, but yeah. I, I, I so back to Red Dragon Con. Um, the other thing I asked, and this was to Hugh Dancy, was what is it like doing? Uh, I said season three, but um, you know, but especially that first half of season three, I said, you know, what is it like? And after I kind of explained what I meant by the question, he says, well, I think that's the fullest expression, uh, the fullest expression of Brian's writerly mind. And I think that's what we're seeing, mm -hmm. even though it's very visual in orientation, the way that that the characters are being imagined, that their relationships are being visually imagined and, and audio as well, you know, orally as well. Um, you know, we talk a lot about the, the look of Hannibal, but in Mizumono, the last episode of season three, there's a ticking clock throughout the entire episode up until the shit hits the fan, basically. And it just, it kind of weaves in and out. Sometimes it's louder, sometimes it's softer, but it's almost always there. And just that level of, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, on the one hand, it's obvious when you think about it, but on the other hand, I haven't seen a whole lot of shows that are doing that with sound. Um, I think they're just trying to sort of push what television can be, what a serial narrative can be. Uh, yeah. And then to just piggyback on what Rebecca said, you know, my husband, and I think I might have mentioned him in the last episode. Did, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And probably in exactly the same way, because as I probably <laughs> said before, because this drives me nuts. You know, he's all, well, that's not realistic. And this was absolutely the, se the, the season that I had to just, you know, basically say, look, it's not trying to be realistic. And once he was on board with that, he's, you know, one of the things he comes back to a lot when we rewatch it is the show trusted its audience to follow. Mm. So it doesn't spend like any time in exposition except for, you know, the previously on Hannibal things that, do you get those in the UK? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah okay. Um, yeah, we get them here too, uh, which is very much sort of a format. Uh, but, you know, with the exception of those, and they're always kind of chosen almost randomly, um, there's no sort of expository function of anything in the narrative. You know, it's all just keep up. Just keep up. I trust you're going to keep up. Work mm -hmm. with me. You know, go back if you need to, but keep up. And that's, as a, as a viewer, and especially as a viewer of American television, that is really rewarding and really nice because we get explained to a lot. <laughs> Kirsty, do you have anything to add on to that? Um, yeah, kind of, it's sort of playing on both kind of the things that Rebecca and Laurie have said really. It's just that um, I think one of the reasons why season two seems stronger is that that, you know, kind of um, relationship between, the, you know, the kind of makers and the audience um, because of social media um, was really, really strong. And it was one, not kind of the, one of the first, but certainly it was really one of the things that was really distinctive about Hannibal was the way that it got picked up by the fandom on social media on platforms like Tumblr, Tumblr in particular. Um, and that, you know, so therefore kind of Brian Fuller and, you know, kind of wider producers had an awareness of who their audience was in the kind of playful way that they were, you know, kind of, you know, demonstrating their affection for the show um, on those spaces uh, or in those spaces rather. Um, I think that kind of contributed to a the kind of confidence that the show had in terms of being able to kind of go, our, you know, our core audience know this is bonkers and they're happy to interpret in a myriad of different ways and kind of make cultural connections, um, you know, with art and film and, you know, literature and, you know, and read it in all sorts of different ways. Um, so that kind of lizable kind of quality that it has, um, I think mm. was, you know, kind of just emboldened by what the audience was doing. And I think it seems to remember that sort of as they were shooting season two, so the flower crown thing had happened in season one is that kind of photoshopping flower crowns onto, um, you know, kind of uh, images from, from the show. And then Brian Fuller started tweeting pictures of like the cast and the dogs wearing flower crowns, sort of and having that kind of, you know, kind of shared, um, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, lexicon, this, you know, kind of shared way of kind of communicate, communicating genuine affection for one another, which seemed really, you know, kind of interesting, particularly because the context of that is, you know, kind of well-documented of horrible fan producer relations <laughs> with things like Sherlock and mm. Supernatural. Um, so I think, you know, kind of part of one of the reasons why season two works so well is just because it seemed much more, or at least the producers seemed much more at ease with the type of audience that they had mm. and much more willing to go with what they wanted and the way in which they were reading it, um, unlike, you know, <laughs> the other shows I just mentioned. <laughs> oh dear, nice. Um, wow, okay. Um, so much to get into there. Um, I, I feel almost embarrassed to ask such a simple question, but I think it's important that we qualify our enthusiasm by talking about favourites. <laughs> what are our favourite episodes in this series and why? Um, Laurie, can we start with you again, please? Such a hard question. <laughs> um, it's not as hard as next season, but mm. as much as I love Mizumono, and I do, which is the last episode, 
this is the only one where I can get like most of the of the episode titles because they're in Japanese and I'm like oh finally a language that I know <laughs> um, as opposed to you know opera or whatever I have no idea <laughs> you know like Italian and French are not my forte although it's, I can say forte um <laughs> so anyway not Mizumono even though even though I mean I I love everything about it I think it's the obvious choice in some ways um but the one that just revs my engine the one that I just I get excited every time I see it and I love it and I love everything about it is uh Nakachoko which is uh it's known as the one where they have sex everybody has sex um that's actually my least favorite part of it and it's not and 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 but I love the episode I mean you know it's fine uh it's just, that's not the thing that I get excited about. I get excited about a couple of things in that episode. One of them is how it opens. Um, first with Will beating the shit out of uh, Randall Tier, who in his mind is Hannibal anyway. And then he's the, you know, the Wendigo and it's like, you know, blood and all kinds of things. And, and, uh, and he's feeling it. And then the, you know, inevitable drag the body across town. I don't know how. And then, you know, drag it into Hannibal's house while he's not home. Lay it out on the table. No blood anywhere. You know, so that thing. Um, But that's the episode where they have dinner together. And there is nothing I don't love about that dinner scene. um, Because... It, oh God, it's such a, such a good scene. The, every time I see it, I'm always sort of struck by the sense of Will sort of fall from grace in that episode. You know, he's knowingly eating human meat for the first time. Uh, and it is human meat that he has brought it may not be the person that he said but and it took me literally until like I don't know a few months ago that you know you chopped the ginger what it made sense to me I had no idea that that was a pun um so I'm embarrassed but um, I really didn't I'm like I think my husband said it and I'm like ah, I got it me, you know, yeah because ah, yeah, I'm just I'm not good at those but um but they they use um Mahler in the background for the dinner, the music. And apparently this is, it it actually has a pretty storied history as a piece of music. It was used, I guess, at uh, Robert F. Kennedy's funeral, even though it's intended as a love song or, you know, a a sort of not song, but, you know, a piece of music uh, that was intended for his wife. And so it's got this, and, and, and I guess there's like this huge sort of you know music people debate over whether it should be played really slow how slow is too slow for this um but watching it when he takes that first bite I mean the music is wistful it's there there is a a sense of mourning and I read his fall from grace into it um because of the knowingness but at the same time you know, the conversation is fine, but the visuals of the conversation are so interesting, how the camera is sort of slowly coming to head on. Um, the use of uh, short focus and how we're, we're 
really, really focused on their faces um, to the exclusion of all else. The, the, the sort of meshing of their faces at the end, I can kind of take or leave. It seemed a little bit, you know, ham-fisted, but on the other hand, I don't care because I love this episode. Um, but then the other thing besides the dinner that I think is brilliant, and it happens during the credit sequence, is this is, I think, the first time that they make explicit the kind of Will with his good angel and bad angel on his shoulders, um, or God and the devil, um, when they're all standing there looking at Randall Tearpiece uh, in the museum, and Will is front and center. Jack is off to his high side behind him, looking straight ahead, and Hannibal is off to his side behind him, looking at Will, and the the sense of just religious metaphor is so lovely mm. it's just it's god and satan and man and will has fallen from grace and so with my little you know i do this actually i pose them in that in that pose with my little funko pops of jack and will and hannibal because oh. i love that shot so much it's just it's so rich and yet it's you know it's happening during the credit sequence it's a, it's a throwaway um but this is really where I think, you know, just everything becomes loaded and worth going back to again and again and again. Brilliant. You know, um, I didn't think I had a favorite one, but I think I might agree with you, Laurie. I've just glanced at my notes and I wrote more notes on that episode than, than all the others. So I think that that says something. Um, I, I just mentioned, I think, the line delivery in that episode that sums up the point you made earlier about how they commit to everything, no matter how absurd, because obviously this is, is the episode where Will is supposed to have created that uh, beast tableau thing somehow. Um, and he says, he looks at it and says, this is my design, doesn't he? And there's just something infinitesimally different to the way that he's always said that line when he's talking about somebody else's design, but this is actually his own design. Um, that's incredible uh, acting um, there from um, Dancy. That's that's wonderful. That's a great choice. Uh, Rebecca, what, what's your favourite? Oh, um, uh, I probably can't speak as eloquently about about it um, as, as Laurie has about that episode. And I, I love that episode also. I think the Randall Tier Beast creation is is grotesque but again it's that kind of grotesque beautifulness that, that Hannibal's really good at mm. can't remember the title of it I'm so sure whatever you would tell me it's it's the episode where um finally Mason Verger loses the plot and does the horrible mm. Mason Vergering I can't remember what it's called is that Tommy one maybe it's the one before the finale yeah yes, yes that's Tommy one yeah. yeah um and I like I like that episode because it's the main, I mean, the Mason Verger thing is, I remember watching it and I genuinely, again, A, couldn't believe that anyone got away with that, even though you don't, I mean, well, you do see things, but it's so horrific. Um, and all the way through the Mason Verger storyline, I was thinking, how are we going to do this? Because, you know, seeing the other versions, of the book, how, like, how are we going to get around this? Um, and I also like that episode because, again, it's that Hannibal and Will's relationship by this point is so messed up. They're dead chasing each other around in circles in the jello and the you know the fish jello creation that he makes for jack i think <laughs> <laughs> which looks grotesque 
And um, <laughs> as I think for me, it, it's that at this point, you really are not sure who's who's going to do what to whom. It's kind of also, I think as well, watching it the first time, I was sort of surprised that they wrapped that storyline up in that episode because again if even if you know you're vaguely familiar with with the canon to me that seemed like something that would be kind of end of series so you're almost done with that that the vergers for that mm. season to mm. give space and mizumono to the, the the more character-led sort of consequences or that that sort of big scene at the end and, and what's happened between jack and will and hannibal and, and alana to a lesser extent um so yeah i mean mizumono is it's wonderful and I love it and I could talk about it for, for ages but I think again if I take that out of it I think it is that that one before because it sets up so much for season three um at that point I wasn't sure if we were going to see the verges you know there might not have been a season three <laughs> um so even if you kind of leave them there I think it's a fitting end for for those characters the fact that we do get more of them is great um but I just think there's there's so much in it where the, the scene where they sort of let Hannibal out of um I know that's season three. I was about to talk about season three. Oh no. Ooh, <laughs> that runs collections. Oh my god, I know. I was about <laughs> a completely different thing. Um but there is yeah, there is this this kind of really interesting kind of resolution to that storyline, which we will go back to in season three, but I'll be quiet. <laughs> yeah. Oh brilliant. Thank you, Rebecca. Um just on on that episode, um the part that um i really was dumbfounded by was yeah if we've read the book or seen the film or familiar we know that hannibal lecter gets mason to slice off his own face but i wasn't expecting will's dogs to eat his face (laughs) (laughs) that was just like what and there's i think there's a shot where it's it's will and um hannibal talking in the foreground and you can just see mason feeding bits of his face to the dogs in the background yeah uh Incredible. <laughs> uh, yes. Never a better word chosen. Kirsty, what, what about you? So I'm I'm you know, again, kind of, you know, the last episode, amazing, could talk forever, but I'm not gonna. Um I I kind of thinking about it, reflecting on it, is um it's kind of two sort of middle seat middle season run together, um Mukuz, uh, if that's right, sorry. Um and then Futamono. Um so because it's the one where the where Beverly's death is is revealed and we get the you know Damien Hurst kind of mm. sections um and then again and part of the reason why I love that is a is you know kind of I love the cell and that was <laughs> clearly a reference to to the cell yay um which, you know um and I know that kind of Brian talk spoken about that about the influence of that on on Beverly's death um, but then again, just coming back to seeing Will enact the crime and just how powerful that is when mm-hmm. we see our, you know, our good guy, inverted commas, everybody, um, doing these hor- horrific things, even though obviously, you know, it wasn't. Um, and then because it's also that, that episode ends with, um, uh, you know, kind of Hannibal in a vulnerable position, <laughs> courtesy of Matthew Brown. Um, so, you know, again, in terms of kind of thinking about light Hannibal, not that I'm going to call him that for now, um, but, you know, having him in this, you know, kind of situation where he potentially could die, um, somebody has got the, seems to have got the better of him, was kind of an interesting moment for me. That's, a, that's also a kind of iconic moment. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's all those just kind of, you know, 
not obviously they are developing towards you know um the kind of overall arc and kind of important moments but just the you know the fun little kind of bits as well just yeah i just love those two episodes <laughs> is it this season where chilton goes hannibal 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 or is that because because I love that's, that. that's the episode where he says you know, he talks about they're gonna call him hannibal the cannibal i think oh yeah so, yeah he yeah, says yeah. at some point that he's copyrighted or patented yeah, yeah. the phrase yeah, Hannibal yeah. the Cannibal. <laughs> I mean, you know, again, it's like he, he Raul Esparza deserves a, a more than an honorable mention because, like I said, this is this is when Chilton, as he sees him, really comes into his own. Yeah. And he's just the way he gets sort of sliced away piece by piece. Um, over the the course of two seasons is so wonderful and so macabre and and the the way that he just keeps coming back I mean he is he knows everything and yet he is the most unfortunate character in the entire series and when he's running from the police who have decided that he is the Chesapeake Ripper I mean He's brilliant, you know, he just, he throws himself into it. He, he's crying, he's clawing his way up the snowbank. And I just feel bad I, 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 You do, you do, because I mean, you, you really do feel bad for him because, and if anything, it's, it's partly because of all the people, of all, of all the, Will has like no compassion for him, yeah. <laughs> except in the most abstract way, you know, Will who has compassion and empathy with everybody, man, Chilton, he just lets him out to, you know, he just lets him go, he cuts him off. <laughs> um, and it's really interesting. And he's so desperate to be, I mean, he's, he's at once the most annoying character in that he's, he's he is he's an annoying person and yet he's also i mean the pathos is just through the roof you know and yeah there's he has a great line delivery where he shows up at wells after he's found eddie is mm. up and the way he's just like corpses on my property it's <laughs> right. but it's just the way he does that whole thing he's and he's, he looks all pathetic and the dogs are just sniffing around him and and he's just like, you know, you 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 had an ear or you threw up an ear. I have corpses on my property. <laughs> and it's just he just makes it so funny. But yeah. yeah and yet you just feel you just you do feel bad for him because I say oh he's so brilliant at it. But that every time that line delivery just cracks me up. I don't know why. It just he, he just nails that line and it's just, it's just so funny. That's what I think is sort of at the heart of the camp that I'm that I'm still sort of working through myself, but because you know camp isn't isn't a, an idea that comes to me mm. sort of naturally, I guess I don't know, but his performance in particular is so wonderfully campy because he's so hysterical, but he's also completely committed to there are corpses in my living room, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Um, I mean, there's. At no point, as his as ridiculous as his character is, and he goes to pains to make him ridiculous, I think, at no point do you laugh at him after a certain point in the series. You're mm. laughing, you're laughing, but it's not necessarily at him. Mm. It's more just the absurdity of his situation and the fact and, and the fact that in that really overblown way, just bits and pieces of him keep getting 
siphoned off, you know, so that by the end, I mean, we can't talk about it yet, but you know, yeah, <laughs> he know. ends the series in the best place possible. It's like you poor, poor sap, and he's just he has he has achieved. I I just ooh, I want to talk about it because he has achieved a level of pissed off that is so elevated <laughs> by the end. I mean, it is refined. It is it has been honed and it is razor sharp. And I'm just like, that's why I want a season four. We'll never get it. But if I I just want to see what happens to children. Yeah, so there's not much left. <laughs> oh dear. Well I, I clearly have things. <laughs> yes, I have lots to look forward to. That's great. Oh my God. Um, okay so um uh, so much good stuff to talk about um my last question is about what what are our favorite and most disturbing images in the season there's already a lot that we've already mentioned um is there anything particular mm -hmm. that 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 we want to bring up further um uh, rebecca let's start with mm. you please. oh i'm thinking um I mean, I think the tree man always always sticks with me just because it's so, say, absurd and iconic. Um, and I believe when they had the post-series auction, um, a tattoo parlour in New York bought that prop. Um, and if you like, you can go and visit it, I believe, oh. somewhere in New York. <laughs> so if anyone's ever in New York and wants to see the tree man, oh. he's he's there. Um, I think I think for me, it's the it's still the Mason Verger thing. It's 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 so disgusting <laughs> and so <laughs> even though he's a horrible horrible character and he absolutely deserves it, I think it's it's just it's so awful. <laughs> eating people is bad, but eating bits of your own self is worse. I think, yeah. <laughs> if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, and so again, I think it's just you, you see the little bits and pieces of and the prosthetics and that are incredible, but you see oh, yeah. bits of his little skull and little bits of nose, and it, it's <laughs> it's really grotesque. Um, and I'm trying to think of things other things that we haven't mentioned, and now I can't remember what episodes are in this season and what aren't. Um yeah. the per, the people at the beginning with the crackles, the, the people who mm. yeah stitched mm. together. Um I remember watching the first episode. And the the skin peeling kind of face. Well, as as the guy tries to pull himself free, yeah. it's like that's absolutely that's like literally within the first five minutes of the first yeah. episode of the season, isn't it? And it's yeah, such and that's a always, wince inducing way to begin. Yeah. That's yeah. what's haunted me a little bit as well, I think. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that one's yeah. Again, yeah. I'm watching that and just going, oh no, oh. yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Laurie? Since I try to like put all the grotesque stuff out of my mind, and I do really <laughs> well because I <laughs> I made a video once, and it was a it was just a fan video, and it had I can't remember what it had some bit of gore in it and I didn't even think to warn for gore. Oh, it's when he, well, it's from season three. I don't want to describe it. Suffice it to say that it's, it's as with most of the gore in the series, body based and kind of gross. Um, and yet it's also deeply meaningful. So, you know, 
always communicate your thoughts through the bodies of other people. Um, and I never thought to warn for it because I had already just long since associated it with such a romantic gesture. Um, and so I have a weird relationship to the gore and, <laughs> and a lot of it, like I can't, I still can't really watch the Mason Verger scene because that one I kind of, I'm like this, cause I just, I can't handle that. Um, cause I actually don't like gore, but here we are. Um, but I think for me, in terms of just powerful imagery, and mm. if I were going to relate it to what the show does and what the show is doing, I would say that scene that uh, that Kirsty mentioned um, with Hannibal walking out of his house with all the dead and dying people in the rain, so sad, stepping over Alana's body. Mm. which is a nice touch, you know, because when you're trying to be sympathetic, step over the body of people that you pushed out the window, um, pick up the jacket that the was jacket, left yeah, on top yeah. of her. I mean, everything about that is so callous. It is so callous. He is such a dick there. And yet, <laughs> you know, he looks up and he's got that sad Mad Mickelson thing happening and his yeah. hair is in his eyes. And of course, when Hannibal's hair is long and in his eyes, we are automatically going all oh. and the rain is falling and he takes deep breath and breathes out and we see a little puff of steam you know coming out his mouth as he breathes out and just the fact that they can do that that there's a whole house of like dead and dying people behind him and he just stood over the body of somebody took the jacket and walked over her that he can do all of that. And we still come away at the end going, oh my God, you poor thing. I think that is really powerful imagery because it, I think that's the show in a lot of ways, you know, mm. that it, that it, it's about this utterly reprehensible human being who is made vulnerable. And when he's made vulnerable, you know, it tells us, I think a lot about ourselves that, we latch on to the person who is in emotional pain rather than the, you know, mm. many leaving out people that he has just left behind. Um, that's, that's, I think one of the, one of the things that Brian Fuller generally, and, and I'm, I'm attributing this to him, even though I realize it's a group effort. Um, but if I were going to sort of read auteurism onto him, and I don't know that that's necessarily a good idea, but if I were going to, I would say that's the thing that he really excels at is the humanity of his characters. And I think that's, you know, it, it even it holds for Mason Verger when he his face is being sliced mm. off by himself. And he's, you know, we, we do we do have a moment of pity for him because that's horrible. And yet he is a horrible human being. He at his best, I think he lets us see the humanity of he doesn't ask us to see the humanity of of real people like i don't know i always go back to hitler so we'll say hitler you know he's not saying you know everybody has a good side he's just saying for these for this fictional world you know mm. let's let's play with it and because it's not dealing in realism we can sort of play in the world of metaphor a little bit and mm. talk about you know vulnerability and and things like that. And I think that that shot of Hannibal right towards the end of Mizumono is, is sort of the essence of 
of his arc to that point because he's emptied out, you know, he asserts himself, but it's kind of a hollow victory. Um, mm. And that, yeah, I just really like that. Yeah. The, the teacup remains mm. smashed. Oh God. That, <laughs> and it was so close to coming back together. I know like... it's such a, Oh God. It's such a brutal. <laughs> oh. But you know, not one thing would have gone horribly wrong if he didn't decide that it was a good idea to surprise your friends with the actual she's alive, you know, news that about Abigail, because that's the only yeah. thing that Will was upset about. And it's like, and that's the beauty of the show that it's over such a stupid thing. It's like, you know, no, we talk to each other. You're a psychiatrist for God's sake. I mean, he's a shitty psychiatrist, but you know, he should know that communication is our friend, but no, it's going to be a surprise. Yeah, and And that's why I love it because it's, both the height of pathos and something that you can absolutely laugh at and say this is so stupid you dumbass you know yeah. baby yeah well, well well we are dealing with two characters who play tennis with serial killers as in one of them bats a serial killer to the other and then the other one bats a different serial killer back that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of how they communicate and i love the bit where um uh is, is it will who says now we're even or yeah, yeah, even Stephen. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a yeah. That's a That's well. There we are. Another reason why it's right. Uh, Rebecca, um, Laurie's made me realise I actually misspoke the last question, and it was a. I was going to ask you about powerful imagery, not necessarily horrific imagery. Um, so, so if you I was want just traumatised by those, <laughs> right? If you want to pick any nicer imagery mm. from the series, then please do. Um, I think I think for me as and again it's a Mizumono thing. It's for me the the this the whole sort of speech that or the kind of the conversation that, that Hannibal and Will have when he's sort of done the, the stabbing bit and Will's lying on the floor and the, the kind of conversation, the back and forth they have with each other about, you know, says, I let you see me, I let you know me, and you didn't want you didn't want it. And Will says, I oh, yeah, did. Didn't I? Didn't I? Didn't I? Didn't I? Um and I just think that. The way that they, 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 again, that's played and the music in, I mean, the version of um, Goldberg Everton is a Bloodfest version of, of, kind of Goldberg variations in that episode is fantastic. And I, for me, I think that just, as you say, that kind of sums up so much about their relationship up to that point, that kind of back and forth. And to, to see a character like Hannibal, but also well, you know, Hannibal mostly be in that position of vulnerability of finally saying, you know, I, you're my friend <laughs> or you know whatever <laughs> and Will sitting there going and I thought you were my friend, my friend. <laughs> and, um, like, and that's that's so wonderful I'm sorry I know I, I'm like but it's, it is, I love that that show is basically comes down to I thought you were my friend no I thought uh, you were my friend just chat um to each other um but I think the way that that is written the way that that's they play that opposite each other again I think is so is so great and then there's Without getting too much into season three, there's a moment in season three where we go back and revisit that that particular kind of scene. And there's a slightly different inflection on the way that the lines are delivered because a different person is remembering it. And I think that just, I think that's so, for me, that that, that scene is like, is if I had to convince somebody to watch it, I think that, that there wouldn't be any sense to them narratively, but that would be yeah. kind of like, just watch this, this is 
I think that scene for me is is probably my fa- my favorite scene out of all three of the seasons because wow. it's just just that one part of that episode is just just says everything I think so so well. Beautiful, Kirsty. Oh, okay. Anything... So yeah, <laughs> um, there's so many different kind of options both places by mine, both horrific and and powerful. And what I've landed on is just the kind of we've not really talked about the kind of Raven Stag and how that's used in this season. Mm. Kind of just a couple of points. One is that you know obviously through the kind of arc where Willie's in prison, we kind of see him you know kind of growing out and those and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, and the, in the first season, you know, the kind of understanding is that the Raven Stag is either representation of Hannibal as the you know kind of the the you know the thing to be um hunted or it's a representation of them but you know their relationship um both are true both both work um so they're kind of will transforming in you know growing antlers as he's you know trying to think about how he gets back at Hannibal and employing or kind of using Matthew Brown to try and get at him um sort of yeah suggesting his his transformation um and changing his character and then later on i'm not sure which episode it is but there's a, a, a you know kind of an imagined sequence where will's got hannibal uh, tied to a tree um and he's got the raven stag essentially kind of pulling the rope you know to you know kind of garrot and blood splats everywhere um so you're know, almost sort of alluding to the way that will's going to use their relationship against hannibal in some way which I thought was pretty poetic and kind of mm. a nice way of kind of playing with both, you know, readings of, of what the stag represents in, in, in Hannibal. That is an extraordinary sequence. Yeah, absolutely. Whew, wow. I one more, but I can't remember it now. <laughs> and it was really oh. good. Oh, gee. <laughs> Save it for next time, Laurie. We can I guess, revisit. I guess. Oh, but if we're talking about season three, there's something. <laughs> so Be here all night. <laughs> Well, leave, leave in shape for you know a kind of fourth episode where we talk about it, all of it together oh yeah <laughs> i remember i remember can i just throw one more in real quick go ahead and this is i think did i talk about sherlock last time too you did mention it a couple yeah. of times yeah all right well so you know so my my anger with sherlock is established and yeah. especially season four and but there's there's a scene in i guess it's in mizumono um before they have the dinner time conversation where basically Hannibal's trying to talk Will out of wanting revenge and Will is like, no, I want revenge, but on you, you don't know that. And Hannibal's like, this is going to be awful. Let's not do it. And Will's like, no, no, I want to do, you know. And you're just like banging your heads together for a while. But before that, when Hannibal realizes that Will lied to him about Freddie Lounge being dead because he mm-hmm. smells her. Mm-hmm. You know, in Sherlock not to belabor a point too much. When they decided in season four that they were going to have something that was big and exciting and, you know, it, it's going to change everything kind of thing. They blew up 221B in the hokiest, most ridiculous sequence ever. Um, and for a show that had been so wedded to, you know, think about it logically, how would this happen logically? You know, it was absurd they all survive nobody's hurt they're blown out of the I mean it was dumb and it was loud and it was stupid and in Hannibal when when we see Hannibal just lean his head in a little bit and smell well we get taken into his mind to that red 
image of Freddie Lowndes and then back out. And all he does is kind of pull out kind of, and, and he sort of does this, huh? Mm-hmm. And you know, that it's all about everything. The shit is going to hit the fan. This is all about to go horribly, horribly bad for everyone. You know, in that instant and the shock and the sort of, oh shit, you know, of ness of it and the sense of betrayal is so palpable. And I think, I mean, that is storytelling, you know, when you want to stun your audience, you don't need an explosion. All you need is like one guy who we already know has really sensitive smell or sense (laughs) of smell to take a whiff and go, Oh, everything was a lie. You know, Mm -hmm. do I like being lied to? I think not, you know, and, and, (laughs) and so it's such, it's, everything is so understated there. And yet the whole world has sort of turned on its axis in such a horrible, horrible way, horrifying way. And yeah, so I love that one too. Sorry, I just had to get that one out because I really love it. No, no, Laurie, I don't think any of us are going to pillory you for for wanting to find more nuggets of gold in this unending supply of nuggets of gold. Shut up about it. Oh, Laurie, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> um, in fact, that was a great note to end on because I think we're we're running out of time. Um, and that was season two. Um, we'll be back for season three. <laughs> yes, oh, yeah. it won't be, won't be too long away. I can't wait already. Um, there'll be even more to say. And yes, who knows? Maybe we will do a fourth episode as well. <laughs> that sounds like not such a bad idea to me. Um, <laughs> So it just remains for me to thank our guests, Laurie and Rebecca, once again, Dr. Laurie Hitchcock-Morimoto. Thank you so much for talking Hannibal with us. Thank you for having me and and for indulging me in my excessive enthusiasm for season two. It's our pleasure and there is no excess. And thank you so much, Dr. Rebecca Williams. Thank you for having me. Alright everybody, so you've just heard the thoughts of Rebecca, Laurie, Kirsty, and myself on Hannibal Season 2 and now you get to hear Ian and Stella chip in their thoughts. Hello Ian. Hello. Hello Stella. Hello. And this that means... Was weird. <laughs> Whoa, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> this means all four of us are on an episode of the podcast for the first time in a while so this yay, is wonderful <laughs> i think for 20 since the beginning of the year I yeah think so, too. certainly for 2022 yeah so marvelous Cheers. welcome back everybody and i know the listeners <laughs> will have missed you we've all heard uh, rebecca and laurie and myself and kirsty talking um, so we can build on those points, but but I'm going to ask some slightly diff- different general questions to uh, Ian and Stella, and we'll all feed in on these. So starting with you, Stella, if that's okay. So Hannibal season two was it what you were expecting after season one? Um, well, I did the thing where I watched I watched season one, two, and three pretty much all together. Um, because I watched them as part of um, writing my book. So I just hammered through it all. Um, I think I was I was surprised that, I mean, I was surprised that, like I said, when we, with our episode where we talked about the first season, I was surprised that um, a free-to-air network went 
for Hannibal in all its gory glory in the first place. But then I was even more surprised that they went for having showing the end of the season first with that with that beautifully choreographed um, fight sequence in Hannibal's kitchen. Oh yeah. Um, and then the whole season is told in flashback, and I was thinking, good grief, that's brave for a network that's already being particularly brave with Hannibal. Yeah, anyway. here's a cliffhanger. You're not going to find out what happened yeah. for 13 weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought that was like, so bloody hell, you know, fair fair dues, fair, fair play with that. But then when I did a bit more sort of digging with it, you know, we said, we said in episode, when we talked about episode one, that Hannibal was given sort of saved from the TV gallows because it was critically doing very, very well. But in terms of its... Um, ratings and viewing figures it was just going down and down and down and so for season two they moved it to friday now friday has lower ratings expectations than the previous when it used to be on on a thursday so mm. it got away with it again for a bit longer and then they moved it to saturday for season three or halfway through season three which has even lower expectations for ratings so it was allowed to stay for as long as it did because of because of these external factors but even with all that bared in mind, I was still continually surprised and throughout all of season two with, right, oh, right, they are going to show that on network. Oh, we are going to see that body. And Oh, right, yep, it is going to be like, oh, yeah, they're not going to cut away from that, are they? <laughs> all the way through. And it was like, wow. And, you know, and, and I could tell why there was lots of, in the trade press and in the entertainment press, lots of people saying, Oh God! Why? Why wasn't this on HBO? Why didn't this go on Netflix? Why is it? Why is it here? Which I can understand, but as a as a marker of what horror could or became capable of doing on television, Hannibal just just really stands out as going. Look, you, you can do this. You don't have to do it on HBO. You can do it over here. But I guess the flip side is that after three seasons, despite how much it was loved, mm. it got it got canned. But and then the only thing in my notes here that I've got underlined and I've written it in capital letters is um, still, I think, my favourite bit is probably Eddie Izzard's scenes. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Still can't believe that that happened. <laughs> that I, I think Eddie Izzard has possibly my favourite line of dialogue of the season, although so many of them. But, but uh, um, that character says, uh, you're asking me to be my own last supper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I love that scene where he's yeah. just, just, just the way, yeah, the way he's sort of, he's not as horrified as a normal person would be. He's, he's, <laughs> he's a bit, he's, only, he's still got his serial killer curiosity. When he's, go on, tasting my own leg. Yeah, he's eating his thigh, isn't he? He's eating his thigh. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, his. Around. Would you could you call it a cameo? I mean, I mean he's in mm. it. It's on the bounds, isn't it? But. I think it's a recurring character. Well, yeah, Abel Gideon is a recurring character. Yeah. But, 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 I'm just, that self-dining experience, I think, I think that's the beginning of season three. Is it? Yeah, oh, is it? I can't it's remember. Always... I think, because I watched oh, it all no, together. I, it's all no, 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 it um, Do you know what it isn't? It isn't, no. it isn't because, no, because I've only watched one episode of season three. They, uh, they flash back to it, I think, at the beginning okay, of season they, three. They definitely, they definitely... Yeah. 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 My viewing experience of Hannibal has been very much, I kind of binged one and two, almost like they were the same thing. 
and it got to such a good end of season two that I haven't been able to get over the line and get going on season three. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, and I will I do have... at some point, I know. But So yeah. I, I'm the one amongst us who hasn't watched season three. Um, it was the same for me, Ian. It was quite yeah. difficult hunt to get over, but I, I did eventually Especially do it. Now I, had to, it got cancelled. <laughs> I had to watch the beginning of season three a few times because it's such a shift in gear. But, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll discuss that another time. Um, yeah. Ian, how about you then? How did you find season two in terms of, was it what you expected after you'd just watched season one? I think when we were discussing season one, I realised how much I had to really differ. I couldn't differentiate between the two seasons because I did mm. almost watch them back to back, and I just, I just loved it. And it's weird when you love something and then you feel satisfied by it to the point where I was like, no, it's kind of like, you know, Hannibal's gone and he's got away with it, and he's, uh, and he's, uh, and that feels like a natural ending. And I'll go back to it at some point. Um, but I think one of the first, one of the things that's always impressed me about the series as a whole, but they do it a lot in this season, is, and it ties in with what Stella was saying about the fact that they went, um, oh, what's his name, the character, the uh, anyway, Will the detective, Graham. yeah, the de- no, Will the detective, Graham, yeah. yeah, yeah, that that they just kind of go, yeah, he's going to find out that Hannibal's a serial killer. Mm-hmm. But the the fact is, Hannibal is a bit like it's almost a waste of time. The foreknowledge that we have with this character, even if we've not seen any of the other films or read the book, we kind of know Hannibal's a serial killer. Yeah. We almost know that Will Graham's the guy that brings him down. That's kind of almost folklore now. So yeah. it's, mm-hmm. so you can do things like play with that. And what I love is a that a that a having that. It's kind of obvious that Hannibal's get, that you know Hannibal's going to get uncovered as a serial killer. So it's fine having the. It's, it's about the why, not the how he gets uncovered. Yeah. Um, no, the how rather than the... Anyway. Um, but then in the same sort of way, they, they have the bit that we all know, that Freddie Lowndes gets burnt on a wheelchair. And then they yeah. use that as a cunning bit of misdirection yeah. to even freak out the hardcore fans who know exactly what's going to happen in this story. So there's just yeah, lots yeah. of there's lots of cool, little, clever... Make, yeah. it's, it's a good, good way of making, making a... A property new even for the people that know the property really well yeah. um, but there's just so many good bits in it um just you know it, it it doesn't really put a foot wrong in two seasons for my money it's mm. uh it's uh you can't believe how creative hannibal <laughs> he's an artist hannibal is with, yeah. with the human body and some of the others oh. i mean the opening the opening with the muralist is just such an amazing mm. idea it's yeah, so great. grim but um, running through all the deaths in my head now. Yeah, but, like, the one that always <laughs> sticks out is when he's when he sliced that woman up and put her between glass. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yes. the one I've got written down. Yeah, yeah, it's Be- just Beverly Cats. Beverly Cats, yeah. that's it. Yes, it? in fact, yeah, Paul yeah. Beverly. Yeah, and it's yeah, yeah. Well, like, like with all of them, they're all inviting you to. All of the murder scenes are inviting you to look at them and appreciate them, like you're looking at a piece of art in a gallery. And with Beverly mm. Cuts, it couldn't be more obvious that they you're, you're asked to consider these displays because it's like mm. um, what's his chops? Damien Hurst. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> with the animals in, in yeah. 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 and it's like it couldn't be more like you have to knowing 
things are set out in a in a in a gallery in a wooden floor and it's all kind of echoing you're walking around and you're going mm, yes lovely. Mm. it's kind yeah. of it's inviting you yeah. to do that and to, to walk around each yeah each piece but what it's i did know the bear thing, guy in the in the big museum isn't he, he becomes yeah he becomes yeah, yeah. Here. yeah yeah but what but, i did sorry, notice Stella, when, I was, when i was picking it apart for the book um as gory and as graphic and as grotesque as it is, and it is repeatedly is throughout all three seasons, you they set up the murder scene and you see it in clear, focused detail once. Mm-hmm. And then even though the characters might remain in the room, like they do with Beverly Cats, or you know, with you know, like the mushroom deaths in like in the first yeah. season, after yeah. the initial reveal, which is clear and in focus. In, in focus, sorry, all the rest of the time that you can see it, the body's either partly concealed or it's slightly out of focus. So mm. they do mm. have to make, or they do, they did make some allowances for the fact that they were on network. They couldn't keep repeatedly showing you Beverly Katz's slices in complete mm. focus. They were there in the background, but we see them once and then it's just there in the background or it's slightly concealed by somebody's shoulder or something like that. So they they did... There is a bit of okay, we we, we are we are on network, so let's step yeah. back a little bit. But it's I think if you're not if you're not looking for that, you're still yeah. going, Ah, she's in slices. It's sometimes funny though. It probably as a creative tool <laughs> it probably made it. As a creative tool it probably you know, was a good thing for them to work with. Is it mm-hmm. like a set amount of seconds they're allowed to show gore per network but, episodes or something and before they get bollocked yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, to meet the sense. um because because it's on networks so they're under the federal yeah, communications so. commission so they can come down on them hard yeah whereas if it's something like amc or mtv or hbo they have their own in-house yeah. broadcasting standards and practices so it's kind of up to their own morality what what they want to do but over on a- network it's the amc is a funny one isn't it no, no fucks and no, no nudity. But they did just, though. Did they have two, a fuck? Two episodes of The Walking Dead ago, Daryl <laughs> said Daryl's dropped the f bomb, and we wow. were like, "Yay!" Wow, after eleven years, he feels sufficiently twelve provoked. Years. After yeah. Twelve years, Daryl <laughs> said, "I'd have watched that episode and not noticed." That's how much self-control he has. Yeah, <laughs> something like you've been a, a, lo- a load of fucking trouble or something, and and. Twitter oh, really? went woof. <laughs> 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 yeah, in some ways, that's okay. kind of one of the things that gets me with, with yeah. Hannibal. Is that, you know, they're kind of confronted with such hor- horrendous kind of gore, and you know, nobody goes fuck. Fucking <laughs> hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I actually love that. I, I love the kind of old-fashioned politeness of yeah, it, yeah. and I think yeah. that's yeah. that's kind of appropriate to the character yeah. of Hannibal as well. Well, well I must say, I know, yeah. yeah. I never ever, I never ever, I never ever go. I mean, that's just good writing. You write within your constraints. Yes. Yeah. I never ever, I never ever go. That dialogue was shit, or, mm. or that didn't feel mm. real. Everything feels real. Everything within its world. So I've never yeah. ever missed the yeah. f-bombs. Well, the, there's actually, <laughs> the, 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 even though is... that might be a completely natural. Yeah. yeah. I think if yeah. I saw, if I was attacked by a man in a bear, big bear suit, I think I might. Know. <laughs> 
fuck? <laughs> Perhaps it is the constraints of the um, uh, the dialogue in terms of the fact they can't do things like that, which yeah. is, uh, which has made them really focus. Mm. I think the dialogue yeah. in it is like poetry in that often they they express so much using the minimal amount of words another one of my favorite exchanges in this season is when alana says to will is he safe talking about hannibal and will says from me or for you (laughs) (laughs) you know and that's just wonderful um and and that the dialogue throughout is like that, you know. I mean, mm. I know it's not just Brian Fuller. There's lots of different writers involved, but there's um, a clear focus and, and, and a clear adoption of of the house style by everyone, and it's, it's yeah. magnificent. On the that whole level. shows the whole show is a masterpiece in tone, apart from anything else. It's as pre- everything's mm. precise, like you know, like like lectures, like lectures uh, scalpel. You know, everything's mm. really precise, like our lead character, basically. Mm. And that's kind yeah. of the... It all sort of follows from there, I think. And having yeah. those constraints don't, you know, don't ever... <laughs> you never notice them because it's so well done. It's mm. not like... Whereas in EastEnders, they go naff off and you go, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Why is a bawdy market trader telling someone to naff off? And uh, you know it's going to say, because uh, they're... they're they're saying, oh, freaking, freaking, flipping, ooh. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Like in other, other shows, you notice the fact they're not allowed to swear. Yeah. But, um, but it, is a, it is a great show. It really Excellent. is. I'm going to. I almost feel like I need to clear space to watch season three. Yeah. I, I think. You're I'm not right. in a, I know how I've you got, feel. I've got, I'm, in, I'm in the zone at the moment where I can only watch trash like. I was like The Walking Dead, as in good trash, but it's easily disposable. I, I can be tired and watch The Walking Dead, and I'm, mm-hmm. really, yeah. I'm really enjoying it at the moment as well. I'm loving it at the moment. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's picks back up again. Yeah, definitely. For me, for me, it's like a soap opera I can never quite stop watching. <laughs> and then every so often, you'll have to goes, stop watching. Oh, soon. I love the new, uh, yeah, I, I love the new, I love the new uh, Landlord of the Vic. So, so <laughs> yeah, I imagine that's how people talk about EastEnders, which I stopped watching yeah. in 1991. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah, Walking Dead is really picked up. Well, right. that counts as a so recommendation for The Walking Dead. I, I haven't seen any. I think the last episode I saw was the first episode of season nine, which was good. But um, yeah. I haven't got Disney Pulse anymore, so. Um, oh, I've right, yeah. lost touch I've, with it. I spent half my life on Disney Plus, which I never expected to have. I, I loved it. I, I it was a wrench when I had to get rid of it. Um, I'll yeah. revive it at some point, but just not yeah. yet. Um, okay, yeah. so my my second question then for Stella and Ian, and uh, whichever of you feels like chiming in first can take this one. Are there any areas in which you felt the series went too far or not far enough? Bear Man is the one that is the one area I can't decide if I like or not. This was what I and was I, guessing. I thought, I thought jumping, jump, jumping the bear. <laughs> it was it was a bit silly. It was a bit silly out of out of everything I've seen, and I've loved it, and I still went with it. It was the one that I could have done without. It felt like reminding me. Do you know when you watch, especially the, it reminded me of watching the early X Files where it was all brilliant. 
And every so often they'd have one that wasn't, we got into the flow of the X-Files and every so often they'd have one that was self-contained and a bit silly mm. compared to the rest of the X-Files. It felt a bit like that. It felt a bit, it felt a bit too unreal compared to all the mad things that happen. A man dressing up in a mechanical bear suit felt a bit silly. <laughs> Well, let, let me press you for some specificity. And what is it about that that, that you feel is silly exactly? Um, not the bit where the aftermath. No, no, that was Will that was fine. It was it was more. It was more the on, onto the. I, I guess I guess there was just something about having the a man who makes a mechanical, you know, makes a big bear suit disguise mm. himself as a bear. It went a bit too far for me. It's more. It's more like if he'd done less of that, just being a madman who thought he was a bear, and then yeah. Willard stuck him in a. Yeah. Then Willard stuck yeah. him in a thing. I, I'm fine with it. I'm just saying that's something that jumped out. <laughs> yeah, I'm all right with it, but. <laughs> it, it took me out. It took me out of the show a little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. I have to say, I didn't even really notice it was a mechanical suit. I think I just was frightened. I was just going to say, it's kind of part of, so, you know, kind of the, the kind of themes of, of um, the show can obviously develop in season two. We're going to get much more about the idea of kind of metamorphosis and kind of, you know, transformation. And there's a lot of discussion around, you know, kind of will as the, you know, the kind of person who needs to change in, in whatever way. Um, and then, you know, kind of questions get, you know, kind of raised about which direction he's going to go, which, mm. you know, um, is important. So I think, you know, kind of, yeah, I, I absolutely hear you in terms of it, you know, it is kind of heightened up enough operatic and kind of yeah, a bit yeah. silly, but not, I kind of feel like that's the show. <laughs> the show is a bit silly and a bit, yeah. you know, kind of tongue in cheek at times. And so I think it's a really obvious sort of sight for, the, you know, for, for Brian Fuller, to have mm. those discussions about that idea about what what does becoming like Hannibal mean? How does Hannibal mm. see himself in relation to the natural world and as a predator? And you know, yeah. um, and how he, I think it's in that episode he has this lovely line about you know kind of um, being able to kind of whisper or something into the chrysalis, but not having mm. any control about what emerges. Oh, know, yeah. So that, that kind of idea of no, I, I, I got, I got, I got why it was. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was point. just a, Maybe um, it was also a little yeah. bit heavy handed. <laughs> yeah, it is. As on top of it being a bit over the top. But but uh, yeah, no, but, mm. but, gen mm. but yeah, generally, I, I yeah, I love the I love the sort of transformations of the characters <laughs> and how you keep me guessing. And there's, I mean, there's that line where they go, you know, because it goes both ways. We're kind of supposed to think maybe yeah. it is going both ways. With you know, you're the new Will Graham is the line. They, they they tell Hannibal, and it's almost like, well, you're the new Hannibal, then. But obviously, yeah, you know, obviously that's not where it's going. Hannibal's still Hannibal, <laughs> and Will mm. still sort of Will. <coughs> so, although I haven't seen season three, yeah, yet. yes, yeah, yeah, Will. Will moves closer to Hannibal as, as the story goes along, doesn't he? Han Hannibal also moves somewhat but you know but he, yeah. he more or less remains the the wonderful monster that that we love um yeah although, although i think there's you know they kind of again in season two they develop that idea of you know the kind of scenes around with him and between hannibal and bedelia around oh, yeah, kind of yeah. you know hannibal's sort of developing affection for will and mm. so you know and, and i think that in 
in many ways that's what makes the end of the series so um the end of the season really powerful is that yeah you know by most of that by that point we, you know we for you know for better or for worse a kind of position to sort of see him as somebody who is a genuine kind of affection and regard for will and mm. you know kind of his will's betrayal you know is something genuinely we understand hurts hannibal so he's kind of mm. you know he 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 isn't that kind of immutable you know kind of monster that we you know kind of think we see in the first season he becomes more right, happens to be splits Abigail's throat. I would say. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, <laughs> uh, I feel like... Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is, yeah. But, you know, that lovely moment where it's like, oh, she's alive, and now I'm going to kill her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, need to I watch definitely it think again. it's probably one that need, rewards yeah. a rewatch because <laughs> yeah. quite a dense I, I dense suppose um, you can't... Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is, yeah. Well, yeah, this was the second time that I've I've seen the first two seasons and I I look forward to watching them again. Yeah, um, I see what you're saying, though, Kirsty. I think maybe um, I feel like Hannibal uh, develops an affection for for Will and that's I suppose that is a a key change in him. But um, I... I don't think it really changes Hannibal's behaviour to anyone except Will, does oh, it? No. Or do you... Oh no! So, so I, I don't, I don't think Will is like a an influence on him, but I, I think that Will becomes that kind of vulnerable spot yeah. for Hannibal. Yeah. Hannibal becomes fond of him. Hannibal considers the idea of having a friend and likes, you know, this goes back to season one with Tobias. Um, yeah, Tobias Budge. Budge, I couldn't remember yeah. his surname. Thank you. Um, you know, and 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 just quite almost kind of fetishistically thinking, oh, uh, you can have a friend. I'd like that one. This is the yeah. one I want. Um, this is the one and, I want. And, and, and <laughs> let me smell him. On. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh. <laughs> um, uh, on that level, Stella, was there anything that you felt went too far or not far enough? I don't think anything went too far. Yeah. Um, I I kind of no, knew you were going to say that, really. But, but there was, I would have, li- and and I know why it wasn't there because, right, I would have liked to have seen more of Hannibal getting up to his murders and doing 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 his killing, and you know, he's just he's just got a fridge. And the freezer fully stocked, and it's like, well, who are all these guys? When did you do that? How did mm. you do that? And and I know the fact that we don't see him do that adds to the gives us that confusing relationship that we have with Hannibal as an audience because we can't help but fall for him a little bit. He's erudite and smart, and he's in his all he sees the world with all this beauty and everything that he creates is beautiful. So we're very confused with him, and his meals look delicious. Mm-hmm. They're made of human mm-hmm. meat, and I'm a vegan, and I'm still up for having a go whatever's on his plate. <laughs> so I get that the fact that we don't, or we rarely see him be violent and monstrous, mm-hmm. that adds to that confusion. So I do get that. But because, you know, I, I just wanted to see him do more of his hands-on yeah. serial killer business I, w- I wanted to see him get his hands dirty a little bit more and yeah there's so much of the show that you know ticks off loads of 
I guess like serial killer bingo <laughs> we've got this we've got that and traumatic childhoods and we've got this and we've got product killers and process killers and it's all going on but I would I would have liked to have seen Hannibal do a little bit more yeah. getting in there yeah. and you know yeah. his version of going to Tesco yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh can I can I just just I think because you know they kind of you you write so in terms of you know how it feeds our kind of our confused relationship with them. And the flip side of that then is that when we see, you know, our hero, the guy that we're meant to be reading for, doing all those horrific things. So you know, like the the I think it's like episode one or two with the, or oh, no, actually, we might be back to season one. But the thing with the nurse and the you know, yes. and uh, which is just horrific. And wielding that is just is just. Uh, um, but then we when we see Beverly's death. It's mm. you know it's through through will and will's doing it and so you know again so that we have that you know that kind of yin yang kind of thing going on with the pair of them, um, but then you know I think in many ways I, I again I agree I'd love to see him do more of that stuff but the, just mm-hmm. the little moments where we do get it like that just that one shot where yeah. Beverly realizes he's there yeah when she's in the basement kind of, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. the flick of his movement before the lights go it's just. Yeah. So scary because he's just yeah you know, yeah, yeah you know what you know what's about to, to to follow and then you know the way that the series starts with um you know with the kitchen with fight the kitchen scene fight. is just it so is, it's brutal isn't yeah, it? yeah yeah and, yeah and and you know and he's so Massacre is so good at that stuff and yeah. both I mean both yeah. him and Lawrence Fishburne are amazing in that, in that he's a great physical actor yeah, yeah, isn't yeah, he yeah. like the tiny yeah. body movements and yeah mm. yeah so you know is it it's done absolutely correctly you know because yeah. it gives us that but. confusion but i would have liked to have seen hannibal doing a bit more murder maybe we need just need an, another series where it's yeah. all the same story but just all entirely from hannibal's point of view i mean sucking his freezer doing all this stuff yeah <laughs> that, i think by denying you that stella it makes it it's probably a a it's on network but also um <laughs> But I think it probably makes when he when we do see him frenzied, we're we're kind of believing his hype by not seeing him. Mm. You know, yeah. like we could show characters having a shit every episode because they, they they've all done that as well. But it's what you choose to show characters <laughs> doing, and we, by not seeing, we always see him being like the smooth shark, and he magically, like the mafia, people are dead. We don't see how they did it. Mm. They, their yeah. fingers are everywhere. Their tentacles are everywhere. So it kind of adds to the mystique yeah yeah he kind of believes so when he does slit someone's throat and he's covered in blood it's like fuck oh yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a he's a bastard isn't he <laughs> probably just he's, the, he's a mad bastard the, the true the true crime fan in me wants well i don't know i want the murders but you know they're not. They're not there, and I could imagine them. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> and again, no, yeah. I think that is hiding the kind of the fact that none of it is particularly realistic anyway. Mm. That, you know, yeah. I, I always like tree park, uh, the car park man, tree man, always amuses mm. the hell out of me because, like, how do you do that on your own? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. and he's got a little digger. Yeah. yeah. Well, like those sand ones that kids have in playgrounds. <laughs> I want to know how you get an FBI agent. Slice her up, put her in between lots of bits of yeah, lots of bits well, of glass, and then you move, then you move, then you move it in without anyone yeah. noticing. Yeah, well, without dropping any, it's a, a whole team to do that for it. Without smashing yeah. any, I'd have made a pig's ear of it right from the very. Yeah, you, you, you're, you're, the the version that you want to see is is it, you know is Hannibal going oh fuck 
dropping a dropping a piece of glass, having to get another one, having to go, oh, I'll get a shovel to put it back on. Yeah, the... and then five hundred dollars a pot, then for God's sake. <laughs> I've dropped a bit of FBI agent. Could be a great <laughs> sitcom, actually. Come on, Ian, write me that script. Come on, you're the script <laughs> Six you half hours. There we are. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know. I think there's enough. There's enough. I guess there's enough real, real-looking serial killer stuff. That's what Hannibal's like—the opposite end of the spectrum from uh, mm. from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, isn't it? Yeah. Which is, yeah. oh god, this is what people look like when they're killing people in horrible places. This is a bit more real, and this is more <coughs> it happens off screen because. In a way, that's how it happens in Hannibal's own life. He doesn't sit there thinking about the murders. They're kind of, uh, they're just something he does and then he listens to opera and make think cooks. <laughs> Whacks <laughs> about being, his being house. Being a mad megalomaniac. Yeah. Probably Whacks doesn't... about his house cooking in a suit. What are you yeah. doing there? <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't forget don't, as well, play, playing any... on his theremin as well, he does that. Oh, his harpsichord. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You get the impression he sits there relishing, like, oh, and I bathed in her blood, and then I did this, and I did that, and all the horrible, <laughs> grim stuff. He's, he's comp- I think he's good at compartmentalizing. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's I think horrible. that's a fair point. Um, <coughs> so I've only got one more question before we yeah. can have a bit of a general discussion between the four of us about the season. And you've pretty much uh, already answered this Ian but um, maybe you could add something to this Stella so I know you watched all three seasons kind of in train for your book but Mm. by the end of season two were you feeling any differently about the series as a whole than you were at at season one Um, Um, yeah I think because season one has that tussle between is it your standard murder of the week Mm. or is it a complex drama? Um, And I felt like by the end of season two, it had resolved that tension um, and become the complex layered and and exciting drama. But then because I did watch it all just, you know, boom, 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 one after the other, when I did start episode one of season three, it, that felt, more jarring than it did starting season two, if that makes sense. Season, yeah, season yeah. two still felt like I was coming off the back of season one because it's like, oh, has Hannibal been found out? Oh, what's going on? And yeah. then it, it was the start of season three that I found the most jarring. And But yeah, so to answer your question, by the end of season two, I felt the show had found a much better sort of keel to be on in terms of what it is, because I think at the start it was like, Am I am I a murder of the week standard crime show or am or am I a horror series? What what's going mm. on? But by the end of season two, I felt like it sorted that out and we had a nice long linear overarc narrative and that, and that was all really nice. And it's so a I gradual was... evolution, isn't it, in, yeah. from season two into season one? Where, whereas yeah. the change in style for season three season is kind three of sudden. Like, well, yeah. yeah, still haven't got over that. But it is it's funny. Why am I talking about the X Files again? Was it all filmed in Vancouver or something? But um, uh, well, no, it was. It was all. It was all Canada. What's all yeah, Canada? Yeah. Oh, Canada, yes, it's by um, what is it? Gaumont, Gaumont yeah. Production Studio. Yeah, I yeah. Just think of X Files is that way that they basically went right. But so many things get pitched as what's the show going to look like week to week? Or here's your murder of the week. Here's your death of the week. And the fact is, they all seem to have to to get commissioned have that in their document. 
Mm. Here's what it's, and then they start making that show, and they go, "Here's the actual story." I want, can we just? Why can nobody do that from the beginning? Yeah, like, like every single show is like, "Oh, well, here we're going to have." Actually, here's an ongoing plot, and people are turning in. And if you haven't seen last week's, you might not know what the fuck's going on. But that makes better drama. But they always yeah. seem to have to trick the executives at the beginning by saying, yeah, it's be a murder they don't want to week. take risks. Yeah. They don't want to take risks. And when they put Hannibal yeah. in season one, its first season one slot on a Thursday night, yeah. it, it was Thursday night was for a while it was the comedy night, and then it was it was the crime night. So it's coming off the back of. Well, it was the procedural night. So yeah. It was coming off the back of years of ER, NCIS. Yeah. So it had to do crime of the week, murder of the week. This is what we have on yeah, Thursday. Yeah. And then, oh, we can start to spin it out. Yeah. But that almost, that almost put me off. It's lost its crime beginning. audience, I think. Because, when I first, know, when I first started watching it, it almost put me off Hannibal. <laughs> oh, crime of the week again. Yeah. And it, then it kind of hooked me in. But it, the stuff that got it commissioned is the stuff that put me turned me off. Yeah. Oh, crime of the week. Yeah, another one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a changing horse. But yeah. <laughs> but then it's very dis. I mean, this is this is beyond the scope of season two. But I think another thing that's putting me off season three is the fact that does is it does it sort of just get cancelled in the middle of it? Is, uh, is there an ongoing arc? I, I I think it's safe to say there there is an ongoing arc, but but it resolves within at the end of the season. Yes, I, I think every season of Hannibal comes to a a fairly acceptable end. I think it could have. I've just as we've been talking, thought to myself, it could have been cancelled at the end of season two, and we'd be annoyed, but also kind of satisfied because it would be quite yeah. a good point to stop the story. Yeah, season yeah. one less so, but still. You know, it, it it would still work. Um, what do you think, Kirsty? Do you agree? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, without going into it too, you know, I think that they, you know, Brian Fuller, from what I understand, kind of knew that it was on its yeah. last legs, and so just said, chuck everything at it. Yeah. Um, what's great about it is that, you know, it, I think by the end of season three, it's kind of given us almost everything that we wanted, I think, as a, an audience familiar with Hannibal, the things that it's able to give us legally, yeah, it does. Um, yeah. And it, it's you know the first half half of the se- season is kind of visually. I don't want to talk too much about it, but it's visually kind of mm. more heightened. But that kind of it plays with the. It, it's in keeping with the emotional tone of what's going on between the two lead characters. I would yeah. argue. Yeah. Does then, does does it stray into? Clara Starling territory. Um, legally, it can't. No, can't legally, it can't. It can't. So, no, but yeah, but there are kind of, you know, there are, are nods to it. Um, I mean, you know, the um, Miriam Lass character. But not it still Lass. works as well, a prequel to Silence. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's at least one line of dialogue in season three, which I'm pretty sure is from the Silence of the Lambs directly. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's no, technically, no, you yeah. know, they 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 were playing as close to the bone with it as they could possibly yeah. go. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But it is satisfying to me that they do, and I knew this before I watched it, so I don't think it's a spoiler, in this, the three seasons of the Hannibal TV series, they do adapt every book, don't they? That, yeah. That, yeah. Um, uh, that mm. they have the rights to, so everything except silence. And yeah, they, I suppose the book Hannibal Rising, they can't really adapt because it's about Hannibal when he was a boy, but there's stuff yeah. in there. They sort of touch on that. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. They allude, allude to it. Um, yeah. I see, so three is Red Dragon, is it? Is that? Yeah. Well, 
Yeah, partly. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, because I haven't said that. Yeah, because the wheelchair bits from Red Dragon, isn't it? Yeah. So the, the you know Brian Fuller always talked about the idea that his approach to it was just sort of kind of you know kind of DJ mashup. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cannon, yeah. So. Well, that's similar to our sort of Haunting of Hill House Flanagan mm. approach as well, isn't it? To, yeah. To that mashup, yeah. adapting yeah. things. But yeah, well, it's, it's it? like You're I said, like it's it. a good way of breaking it new for. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what's wonderful. Um, I mean, uh, there's all kinds of as somebody who's, who's read the the book Red Dragon, um, I really liked in the first two series of Hannibal, even though they're not actually adapting that storyline yet. You know, there are so many nods. Um, mm. uh, I love the uh, sex scene between Hannibal and Alana, where, where uh, they have a conversation afterwards about how uh, the birth rate goes up after catastrophes. Yeah. Um, and Hannibal, in a line which I think is from Red Dragon, Hannibal says, uh, people want to make love after immediately following tragedies because it's one in the eye for death if you immediately follow, um, you know, the loss of life with the production yeah. of, of new life. Um, yeah. And there's kind of moments like that throughout the series, mm. which that, that wasn't the sex scene I thought you were going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, there's yeah, another one that's one. amazing as well, and uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, th that is is one that should be mentioned. Let's do it. Um, so, yeah, the, the extraordinary um, uh, sort of three-way sex the scene, three -way, yeah. which we've already we talked about with Laurie and Rebecca. Yeah. Technically, it's a four-way, but just one one person gets kind of lost in the. In the <laughs> oh wow! Um, she, she has her time, though. So <laughs> yeah, you know, she it's it's building. Um, yeah, I I've not rewatched that recently. I just remember my jaw being on the floor at, at the way they shot that and the imagery yeah, of yeah. it. Um, there's also an, another one which is a more conventional. Hannibal Alana one um, mm. oh, well I think it's the same one that I was just referring to where they're talking yeah. at afterwards and it's shot as if they're standing up the kind of camera is above the bed so yeah. they, they kind of look as, they, as, as if they're being filmed while standing but obviously they're lying down in bed talking to each other and it just reminded me of this weird but memorable detail from the book Red Dragon which points out that Will and Molly who is his wife in the book um, are exactly the same height so they always feel like they're in bed together because they're always looking into each other's eyes on, on eye level whereas most people are slightly most couples are slightly different heights yeah. so the only time they're at eye level is when they're in bed together um, and I just felt that the decision to, to shoot that scene in that way um, it might not have been intended to me but it kind of chimed with that sort of point of yeah. view from the book and I think there's lots of really pleasing kind of throw forwards to Red Dragon across the first two series of of Hannibal, which could possibly then trip them up when it comes to actually adapting the story, Red Dragon. But I think that without giving anything away, they do some interesting and surprising things to kind of get round what they've already done. Yeah, and we should talk about that on another episode. We should. <laughs> yeah. We should. 
So I've asked all the questions I, I wanted to, to ask there. Um, Ian, I think that the, the third question about how did season two change your feelings of the show, you've you kind of answered because you talked about how you just watched season one and two as a, yeah. as a whole and you, you felt like they came to a really satisfying conclusion. It's, it's almost you... like the first half of season one was where it changed for me. Yeah. It becomes, like Stella said, it becomes the show it's going to be. That's wonderful. Um, so we've got 10 minutes. So I think let's just have a, a general chat about anything else we want to say. Kirsty, particularly, this is, of course, your territory. Um, <laughs> so if there's anything that you want to say about season two that you've not had a chance in either this discussion or when we were talking to Rebecca and Laurie, please take it away. Um, I, I Just very quickly, just like the level of guest stars in, in this series in particular, I think, is, is lovely. So... Um, is it uh, Catherine Plummer? Is it Catherine Plummer? Oh, so Amanda Plummer. The, Amanda Plummer. The bee yeah. lady. Oh, my God, the bee lady. Oh, um, yes. yeah. Like, that was just particularly horrific and creepy. And uh, that's what oh, I think. Oh, I, yeah. Out of all of the, that one always kind of gets me, just because when the guy wakes up, it's just like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I need to watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I mean, I know, you know, obviously we'll talk about kind of what happened in terms of casting and... For season three, but oh, just um, before you you you, get, you make that point, Kirsty, I just want to mention Hannibal season two is the only other thing I've ever seen Ellen Green in. Ellen Green was yeah. played Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. Yes, but she's also in she's also in um uh, uh Pushing Daisies. Oh, is she? Uh, oh, yeah. and that's Fuller as well, isn't it? That's Bella. yeah, 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 oh, yeah. It's oh, lovely. I've it's, right. it, it's lovely. It's yeah. very it's, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. Lee Pace is it's really lovely. Um hmm. uh yeah. So yeah, no, so, so she she's in that. But also um um Michael Pitt and um Catherine Isabel as the as Mason Verger and um uh oh, I've forgotten her name now. Oh, uh, no, no. Margot Verger. Margot Verger. Which is wonderful. Um, and, yeah. and Catherine Isabel from the Genius Snaps films, of course, yes. which yeah, makes yeah. her a, a Canadian horror legend as far as yeah, I'm she concerned. Is. And she it's is. just wonderful to see her again. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think he, you know, um, obviously been sort of associated with um, things like Boardwalk Empire and 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 other mm. arty films um so you know he's kind of you know some nice caliber um to the already very strong cast but i thought you know can he's so delicious as mason verger so good yeah. so good <laughs> so, good. <laughs> so good um and that well that you know the scene with the, the with, with, with the, the nose yeah, yeah yeah but also the scene where he's you know he's gonna sit, sitting and and you know in a, a session with Han hannibal stabbing hannibal's um chair and then that's the moment you go, you go, oh, you are so dead. <laughs> that went into my notes because that uh... is the scene. When when Mason is on Hannibal's furniture, yeah, yeah. making a mess of it, Hannibal looks more emotional and uncomfortable than he ever does at any other point. Yeah. And, <laughs> You're for the chop, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's just brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's, it's so... Um, so on the edge of your seat throughout that scene. Foul about pigs as well. Pigs, yeah. pigs will eat people. Because that's yeah. obviously in various books and films mm. from Harris's yeah. uh, thing. Yeah. So, so whenever I was, because I love Deadwood, whenever... Oh, me too. <laughs> whenever, oh, God, I love Deadwood. But whenever the Chinese, the Chinese guy, it was always take a body to 
what was his name? Mr. Wu, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Take, yeah, take a body to Wu. And, you know, the fact, the idea of disposing of bodies with pigs is just so horrible. Mm. It really is the grimmest. That's, that's one of yeah. the things that gets me. Uh, <laughs> I won't tell that story. It's horrible. Oh, oh, there's a story. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you all look into it. So uh, an actual serial killer, Robert Picton, who oh. was a pig farmer. Mm. Okay. Right. And, uh, you know, had pigs, sold them for meat, killed people. You can put that puzzle together. Yeah. yeah. Blimey. Well, it's a really common. It's uh, it's it's not. Yeah, it's a really common. Sausages. Uh, <laughs> when I when I was in Goa, it was really weird because uh, you being a vegan, I'm going to cover your ears. But it was weird because the toilets. That it was, it was very rudimentary. Basically, you you shit into a big pit that was dug under your hut. It's called a long drop toilet. Ian, I've cleaned them out myself. Yeah, yeah, and they uh, and they just let the pigs go in and eat all your feet. Oh. Oh. <laughs> and uh, that's that's efficiency. Because it's Goa where they invented the vindaloo, vindalhau, which is Portuguese <laughs> for sweet and hot. It's always with pork, so you're basically eating your own shit in a curry sauce. And if that's not a reason, stop eating meat. I don't know what the hell is. It did, it did, make, it did give me pause to go, is it, is it me or is this, does this pork taste slightly different from pork I've had out <laughs> A bit fartier. Oh, oh, dear. Are we done now? We're done. We're done. Thank you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Well, we've got a couple of minutes to, to maybe lift the tone. Is, is there anything anyone would like to add as a final note of Hannibal loveliness to just cleanse the palate from that? that He's detail. a serial killer and kills people. I don't think. I think it's hopefully ending up with the pigs is actually the reality of his grim, horrible <laughs> life. No wants to see, apparently. <laughs> Come on, Kirsty. I know I've said this before, but there's just that last kind of bit where he steps out into the rain over Alana's body mm. and just like is so done with Will. I just like my little heart broke in like a million yeah. pieces for him just at that moment. Just, you know, <laughs> I just thought, Aww. I don't care what you've done. I just, oh. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> the, final, the final thing I would say is, if there's anyone still umming and ahhing about watching it, just just, just watch it. You can, if if you can't get it on any on anything, I got the full set of DVDs so that I could watch it and rewatch it and rewatch it, um, for like a couple of quid on eBay. So get it get it watched. If you're watching it because you've listened to this, then don't worry about the fact that we've spoiled loads of it. <laughs> well, doesn't really. It's a, it, no, no. It's like but, we said at the start, we everybody knows that Dr. Hannibal Lecter is a serial killer. Yeah, it's yeah. in pop culture. Mm. Everybody knows. So that's not a, not a shock. No, no, no. No, no. I mean, you, but the thing is, you, it's, it's all about putting it together anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it's a lot more than, oh my God. Mm. I, I, guess, I guess the one bit that's a spoiler is Freddie Lowndes. But the, what, the wonderful thing about the series, among many, is that there are so many surprises in it that just listing them all would take us. Yeah. Several hours, you know, so yeah. we're not gonna sort of too much. But also, I, I as, I, as I said, watched it after listening to this and going, "Oh, here comes the shit bit with the bear." Oh. <laughs> 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 I just say one, one more thing, one more thing, because go ahead, Kirsty, you can right. have the closing comment. Um, so Bella, just Bella, 
in mm. her arc in this. So played by the wonderful Gina Torres, who at the time was married to Lawrence Fishburne, so they played married couple on the really? show. I didn't mm. know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's just wonderful. I mean, I you know, have a big love for, for her from Firefly, but she's just amazing in, in, yeah. and just yeah. such a kind yeah. of force on screen. The scenes that she has with Matt are just kind of amazing and lovely and just really, really poignant. And, um, yeah. you know, there was there are a lot of things that I feel sympathy with him in the show. What he does to brother is just... Yeah. That's, yeah. that's another one of the wonderful, memorable simple lines of dialogue where she says i am between deaths yeah yeah it's 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 almost the best thing she's ever said but i think the best thing she's ever said was in firefly when she said honey we live on a spaceship to be fair what kind of sci-fi nonsense is that honey we live on a spaceship on that note thank you so much folks we've had another horrible loving it will not be the last yeah is that going to be the episode title another horrible loving write that down right so noted wonderful okie doke my friends we'll stop this then but you'll all come back once we've all seen season 3 I'm going to finally for this podcast I will Find find the space. Oh, yeah. you won't regret it. Nope. I'm sure you I won't. will not. Sure um, I won't. Cool. Nice one. Thank you so much, Ian. See you all later. Thank you, Kirsty. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Stella. And we'll go back to the studio where <laughs> I am all on my own. Bye. Here I am down on my own again just to add a little outro to the episode. I'd like to thank our guests Dr. Laurie Hitchcock Morimoto and Dr. Rebecca Williams and I'd like to thank Ian and Kirsty and Stella and I hope you've all enjoyed this and I hope that My5 and Amazon Prime are getting some extra hits on their Hannibal episodes thanks in small part to our podcast. All right, thank you very much, everybody, and we'll be back May 2022. Uh, I'm not sure what the main subject of the episode will be, and there'll be some bonus episodes as well. All right, you'll hear from us soon. Bye-bye! You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Kirsty Warrow. Dr. Stella Gaynor, Ian Winterton, and T.D. Velasquez, with special guests Dr. Rebecca Williams and Dr. Laurie Hitchcock Morimoto. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at andnowpod or at Lee Cushing Pod, 
Follow us on Twitter at And Now Podcast or at Lee Cushing Podcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash And Now Podcast. And now the podcast stops.